Welcome to Living a Better Life podcast with your host, Madeline Golick. This is a weekly podcast exploring a variety of topics on how you can live a better life, not just physically, but in all aspects of what it means to be human living in a modern world. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not replace professional or medical advice. This podcast is sponsored by Ecophysiotherapy, where their mission is to educate, empower, and rehabilitate you back to health. Without further ado, please enjoy the show. Just a quick thing before we begin today's podcast. Are unpleasant symptoms of digestion getting you down? Bloating, abdominal pain, constipation, indigestion, IBS, bowel dysfunction, SIBO, colitis? Well, We are now accepting new applications for our group physiotherapy program. To learn more, go to ecophysio.com forward slash group and submit an application and we will get in contact with you once we receive it to see if it's a good fit for our program. Welcome everybody back to the podcast. So on today's episode, we're going to be talking about money, 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 money. My guest today is Joanna. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. So, jo- yeah, I'm I'm really excited to have this, uh, you know, chat with you. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things in life that people have challenges with, and uh, so it's mm-hmm. nice to be able to. Um, have somebody come on and talk about it, maybe offer some new perspectives on it. Uh, and maybe somebody might have a change in their relationship with money. So that's, that's kind of, you know, what, what the hope is for our conversation today. Um, I was thinking that the best place for us to start is, you know, tell us about you and your journey into, you know, helping people with money. Okay. Well, I'll begin with the name that I use playfully, which is Muladula, because I think it really does point towards the, hopefully, the levity, but also the significance of giving birth to a new relationship with money. Uh, Mula, obviously, is a play on words, which is money, and Dula is a non-licensed person who helps deliver or support a mom while she's going through childbirth. So Mula Dula to me means helping women get grounded and empowered in their relationship with money. So how did I come into this particular style of working with people in relationship with money is that I had been in the world of finance back in the early eighties I became a certified financial planner and following that more patriarchal masculine model, I was helping people plan their future through the use of selling products, investments, insurance, annuities, things like that. And I was very successful, but I was very also clear inside of myself that it wasn't very gratifying. Making the money wasn't really ringing my bell and nor was the idea that there was something missing in the process and the best laid plans could be sabotaged by a person. And I really, because I was 23 at the time, 
I really didn't have the life experience to understand why those kinds of situations would occur. So after about 10 years, I stepped away from being a certified financial planner and joined my then boyfriend and then subsequently my life partner's business for many years and um, stepped into relationship with a person who wasn't grounded. So what was it took me years to realize that I was very grounded in the sense that I, I had no connection to my sense of self-worth with regards to money at that point. And I wasn't getting any kind of a hit or a jolt from spending it. But then I met my partner who um, was very ungrounded. And I, looking back now, was not very good with my boundaries as a woman, as a partner, as a mom. And so I stepped on unknowingly, innocently, uh, I got onto a roller coaster. And I began to experience what it's like to be up in the middle of the night, shaking like a leaf, not knowing how I was going to make ends meet. Total disconnect from my um, intuitive understanding, my somatic understanding of why am I under so much stress all the time? And how do I change this? And because I didn't have someone who was, I was the one that was knowledgeable in financial terms, but I didn't have someone help me understand that I needed to make a stand, not just in my relationship, but also in the world. Anyway, fast forward about 20 some odd years um, and he is, we were married for 23 of those years and he is still my best friend, but I had to draw a line and say, I can't do this dance. It's, it's causing me, it's wreaking too much havoc in my body and in my state of mind. So about eight years ago, one of the ways that I began to think about stabilizing our financial situation was to go back into the world of money and consider it a way of healing my past because I needed to understand why did I do what I did? There had to be a bigger explanation for why I went from financial security into complete roller coaster and then try and figure out what was, what was the greater story here. And so about eight years ago, I began helping myself through creating my own source of income stream, but also treating the relationship with money as a healing modality, uh, looking at the way we in, use money to either sabotage ourselves or give ourselves a sense of accomplishment or self-worth. And that's valid, but it's not just the only story. So I take women and women in couples through a deep journey into understanding that it's not just about becoming savvy about rates of return on investments, um, how to plan for long-term retirement, whether to buy, whether to rent, all those left brain analytical important po points. But I begin by getting underneath to what is your relationship with money? What are the underlying belief systems? How are you creating or have created filters 
that are standing in the way of you being able to be clear with why you're here, what's your soul's purpose, and what's abundance. It's amazing when you realize that this cuts across all socioeconomic levels. It's fascinating. So people who have very little can sometimes feel a sense of groundedness and abundance because they're focusing on what's important on a day-to-day -day basis. And then there are others that I work with where they have portfolios with all kinds of zeros behind it and they're feeling frightened. So I find that this relationship with money has to begin with a deep dive so that we begin to come into right relationship with ourselves, how we show up in relationship in our partnership, how we claim our self-worth in the marketplace, and how we understand without judgment that money has been, <clears throat> especially um, in the United States where I'm based, um, a currency of accumulation of we are consumers, we are not citizens. And we are, as we all know, I mean, there are so many things happening in the world today. We are at a tipping point and the change has to occur within us and within our four walls of our home so that we can step into the world and have a reverberating effect on the people we exchange money with as well as our family, extended family members, community, so that we become more tuned in to how we feel in our internal selves so that we can reflect it into our outer selves. Wow. That was, that was, I, I'm just like, I'm nodding and I'm, you know, there are parts in your story that I totally, like, I feel that. And I've experienced moments of that. And not too long ago, you know, I hit kind of that, that tipping point where I was like, it came this massive realization that money for me was tied into like self-worth. And, mm -hmm. and anytime I had a little bit more or, or I didn't get it either way, neither was, neither was good enough. If I made some extra money, I felt really crappy. If I didn't make the money, I felt really crappy. And I was like, I cannot continue like this, no. right? Because I'm literally burning myself out, trying so hard to do something that I think my body knew instinctively was out of alignment with my greater sense of purpose and I know that many people have had that realization or are in the process of working toward having that realization um, that sometimes things, you know, hit us, you know, smack in the face that makes us think twice. Okay, I really need to look at this piece. And I love mm -hmm. what you said as money as a healing modality, because I've been really thinking and pondering this concept, not necessarily from money, but how as an entrepreneur, as a female entrepreneur, I can look at my business as an opportunity for my personal and spiritual development, like putting the horse before the cart. I was like, maybe I need, maybe my major goal is to figure out who am I 
and why am I here and what is my purpose and how can I serve? And that my business, you know, the challenges or, or um, the wins, the losses, the, you know, all the things that come up with being an entrepreneur are just simply opportunities for me to recognize what's happening within me and how can I grow from that? So I love this idea is also taking money and being like, okay, my issues with money, how do I think and how do I feel are now opportunities rather than it being about the accumulation of it, being more to how does me recognizing my relationship help me grow deeper within myself? And I resonated with what you said about, you know, people have lots of money and are not happy. And people sometimes with what we would consider less money, like when we travel to Costa Rica, you know, we, we travel always to the same place and we, we know people in the local area and, you know, by quote unquote, um, you know, certain definitions of wealth, we would say maybe they're not very wealthy, but man, those kids are happy. Everybody's like, there's community. And when we go there, you know, there's just such there's such a different vibe and such a different connection between people that maybe they don't have as much as we do, but man, they're, they're made, they're like, they're living their best version of their life. Well, we're not, yeah, it's, it's interesting that you bring up Costa Rica and we're, this is a conversation more about money and not about collective trauma, but it is, I do want to interject the point that we are a young country here younger. And so in many ways, we've stepped away from the traditional extended family environment. And in that, that can be very isolating and traumatizing. And so one of the things that I've begun to recognize in this journey in relationship with money is that I needed more training in terms of understanding what is the collective trauma. So I'm in a two-year training program with Thomas Hubel, simply, not simply, because I feel that if I am able to, through the portal of money, help people recognize that a lot of their choices are being made from a place of scarcity. And scarcity is a sign of trauma. It can be on a collective level, it can be on an individual level. So when you feel scarce because you're not digesting the past, you're going to make choices of, I need that $2,000 pocketbook, I need to go out on Friday night and, and spend 75 to $125 having wine with my friends because you're not feeling resourced from within. So I circle back to say to you, yeah, when you go to other cultures where the priorities are community, family, nature, preparing meals together, those are nourishing people in a different way. And the children are growing up in that, oh, I'm moving my hand back and forth, slipstream of abundance that we as Westerners have come so far away from. The word that I'm like feeling in within my body is connection, right? Being connected, like having that 
And it's, it's bigger than just being able to talk about, oh, I'm connected to nature, but having that actual deep felt sense of connection to nature, connection to myself, connection to others, connection to the transcendent. And I, I can't remember if, if it is Thomas Hubel um, or one of his other, um, somebody that worked with him talked about, we need that connection because we've become a culture of disconnection. Yes, We're absolutely. so disconnected from ourselves that of course that that would create scarcity because I don't feel connected to anything and therefore there's no sense of safety or security. Right, and that's where we go, go into the story of accumulation. And if I get to this level, I'll be happy. Um, and we are certainly seeing that the patriarchal system of running things and accumulation and the rich getting richer and the poor having less, it's a system that's broken, <clears throat> excuse me, that needs to be, huh, I thought I brought my water, that needs to be taken in small bites and looked at and digested in your own personal way of navigating each and every moment, each and every decision. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, I'm glad that, you know, you brought up this idea of like collective um, trauma that, you know, I'm actually listening through Thomas Hubel's book on collective, um, on collective trauma. And it's just really interesting how those things collectively um, inform decision-making and inform the way that we do things. And then there's, of course, our own individual, um, you know, interactions with our um, own caregivers and then our own interactions as we become adults and are interacting with our social uh, colleagues and things of that nature. All of those things inform how we may do things and a lot of it is unconscious, right. right? A lot of the way, like, why do I do something? It's like, until you sort of stop to think about why do I do it that way? It's on, it's on an automatic process because our brain is designed to be energy conservation, right? So once you find a pattern, you're going to kind of work that pattern until we start bringing some awareness, consciousness, presence to it then we can start to shift it, but you can't shift something you're not aware of. So I want to ask about, you know, you've, you've been working with people for quite a long time with this. So I'm curious about, you know, what, do you see any common trends or like common themes around major blocks when it comes to money for people? Like, are there any things that you sort of see more often coming up for people? Well, I'm going to switch gears and go more into the practical. Yeah, great. I think that's significant. And I want people who are listening to understand that I not only hold the space for what we've just discussed, but you know, you don't, you can't make good decisions without having knowledge. Knowledge is power, especially for women in a world where the <clears throat> the historical model was always don't worry your pretty little head over this. It's too much for you. So in terms of blocks, I think the largest block is that 
people don't know where to go to get objective information, where to be guided where someone doesn't have a vested interest. Now, I this may sound a little jaded, and I really don't want to sound jaded, but typically people who gravitate towards the world of money are very much enamored with money and making money, right? That makes sense. And so there aren't very many people, there are some, but a lot of people who are in the world of advising on stocks, bonds, real estate, insurance, they are there because they are enamored with the idea of being able to accumulate wealth. So it's very hard to find objective, grounded information. When people ask me, are there any books I should read? I don't laugh, but I say, yeah, you know, investing for dummies. That's a good way of doing it. But at the same time, that's not going to take you into a place where you can calibrate your emotional relationship with money with your objective need to learn. So I would say that the biggest block is being able to find out and absorb how to navigate the financial industry and make choices that are in alignment with what your personal needs and desires are. So I work with clients in helping them determine, and again, because I'm so somatically sensitive, what feels safe, what feels good in their lives that they want to achieve. So planning for retirement, planning for long-term, it's not a... Uh, it's not something that exists outside of themselves that's very hard for them to tap into understanding what it is they want. And then, yes, I help people by learning about individually figuring out what is flowing in, what is flowing out, is the lifestyle sustainable? How do you set money aside for short-term, medium-term, long-term goals? What about risk? How do you navigate risk in such a volatile economy? So my answer circling back would be the biggest block is that it's very challenging in a world where the focus is on money to find objective grounded information so that you become the steward of your own decision-making. Yeah, I, you know, learning about learning about money, finance, savings, all of that, first and foremost, you know, we don't get really great, um, just like baseline education Mm -hmm. in our schooling system, like just like some baseline, like work on like, how do we, you know, think about money and investments and, you know, just like some like basic finance information. So there's a lack of knowledge that's kind of coming through. And then you have people, you know, who want to learn and are seeking information. And sometimes it can be really difficult when you have different sources of information to be able to necessarily synthesize. And then, you know, finding the right person to help you synthesize, you know, it it can seem very, um, I think, intimidating. That's a good word. It's intimidating. People feel ashamed that they don't know enough. And I think that oftentimes when people have come to me, they've been told by financial planners or investment advisors, you don't have enough for me Mm. to work with you. And so um, I have 
volunteered and gone into the classroom, the high school setting to help young adults figure out how to do adulting properly because that's when it starts. Otherwise you find yourself in your mid twenties strapped with credit card debt, student loan debt. And it's like, you are in a sinking ship, not because you did anything wrong. It's because you weren't properly guided. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's, that's hard, right? Like, you know, part of that is like, makes me feel sad, right? That, you know, just getting some baseline information. I mean, then how people make decisions from that, I mean, that's a whole other thing. But I mean, just having basic knowledge that isn't, you know, overly complicated and, 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 you know, convoluted and like just some basic principle, basic finance principles. So I think there's like, you know, being smart with, you know, what's coming in, what's coming out, how are you planning for things at a baseline? And then of course there's the underlying, um, you know, emotional blocks. And even in that process of doing those basic things, you may come to realize like if somebody's guiding you like, Hey, you seem to be spending a lot of money here. What's that about? Right. Right. Nobody, nobody necessarily sits down and starts to ask you like, how do you, you know, how is that? How are you feeling about that? Because again, our patterns happen automatically. It's like, well, I'm just used to dropping, you know, $75, you know, every three days on going out for dinner. Yet I have these goals and these things that I'm not achieving Exactly. And I'm rat racing it to try to make everything happen. So it's like, how do we begin to like break these pieces, um, you know, pieces apart? Um, yeah. And I feel like women especially may, well, the, I shouldn't say in my experience, when I've spoken with others about money more often with females, like there's, there's, I feel like we have a lot of blocks around uh, money and worthiness and like, can I ask for more? And if I, you know, can I ask for a raise, you know, how do I express my value? Uh, and, and I don't know, do you see that coming up with your work as well as blocks oh, around worthiness? That's an integral part of the work that I do with people is to get them very, again, the word grounded get them very clear on what their cost of living is. There is nothing more, there's nothing more that will um, inspire you to ask for your worth and to recognize that you are living beyond your means, that it's not, it's not sustainable. It becomes a self-awareness and you become clear inside of yourself that if you continue the way you're continuing, it is going to end up in, in a, into a very um, unnecessary and unpleasant circumstance. The debt will continue to rise and you will continue to feel depleted. I like to use the word chi dollars. There's only so much energy that you have in this lifetime. And if you choose to be completely I'll take care of it in the future, or it's really not that bad, then when you arrive at that point that you could have completely avoided and mitigated the, the difficulties, it's always I should have, I could have, I would have. And 
And in some ways, when I, as I say that, um, I wanna share with you that I spent and continue to do work at um, bedside for end of life. And so when I started doing that in my hmm, early thirties, shoulda, coulda, woulda was a co continuing theme, a mantra that was coming to me from people who I was just spending time with as a volunteer um, bedside who were suffering from cancer. And I just took that in and I realized, hmm, oh, wow. Okay, so we only, it's not that we only have this one shot, but it's like we need to be in right relationship at all times with what we're putting out and what we want to come back towards us. So it's, it's men and women, um, but I am a particularly, uh, you know, I'm a champion of women because I think women are extraordinary. And we've all come up through a society where it's been a very masculine controlling one. And so it, I want to circle back to something you said before in that none of what I teach clients is that complicated. It's made to seem complicated, but it isn't that complicated. And so that's part of the, the conditioning that we have to start tearing down and recognizing that we are all capable of showing up to <coughs> manifest what our worth is and also set clear and realistic boundaries in our personal relationships because that's a whole nother area where we allow ourselves to be vulnerable even if we are have been making enough, it can very easily, as you heard before, slide into a place that's not sustainable. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, coming back to like the horse before the cart, you know, focusing in on, you know, what is really meaningful and important and what do I value a lot in my life? You know, getting a, a really grounded sense of that will then help you build around that, right? Um, because in the end, you can, again, if I have the money or don't have the money, you know, like our journey is only so long, you know, when those people say shoulda, woulda, coulda, like, I, I it's like, I feel like, we're waiting to be like happy and we're like waiting to feel good enough. And we're like striving to like arrive somewhere. And I feel like we miss out on the opportunity to be present and find an anchor toward those values and those things that make us feel good. Like we could do that. We don't necessarily, like if, if I felt that way about myself, how might I show up differently and how might I, think differently about my relationship with money. And what you're describing is self-empowerment. And so when women come to me and they've given their power away in one form or another, whether it's to a partner, whether it's to an investment advisor, whether it's to that unconscious part of themselves, if they have had people come to me where they've blown through inheritances, 
it's about presencing, becoming self-empowered, learning the tools they need. I describe it as putting tools in your toolbox so that you are managing both your little inner child who is wreaking havoc possibly in your life as well as your adult self who understands the need to plan for the current needs, but also the long-term needs. Mm -hmm. So yes, that's right. It is about becoming very clear and empowered. So but there's also ways that I like, I really encourage people to allow their inner child to have fun. It has to, you have to have the balance. Absolutely. She's, she's still a, alive and well and kicking inside of us. Absolutely. So I'm curious about, you know, is this just a thinking through process? Like when we're talking about changing our relationship with money, is it just a matter of like, let me just think about this differently? Or is it something that goes deeper? I think what we've described is that it goes much deeper. It goes deeper into our past, what was being modeled for us, what was being spoken about, what wasn't being spoken about, what were the, um, how were our primary caregivers interacting with money between themselves and then in turn towards us, was it a manipulation? Was it a sense of autonomy and agency over our money? I mean, that's one aspect of it is bigger than thinking. We have to visit with that and understand that that's the overlay that we've been making all our decisions from. And then the other part that's so critically important to me is that we have to go inside our bodies and recognize when we're getting activated, are we acting out of a grounded place or are we acting out of a historical place that is frozen and cut off? And this is gonna solve the problem right now. I'm gonna go out and do this because this, this is gonna be an outward manifestation of me being taken care of myself. And it doesn't work. Mm. So becoming in tune with what is happening within me, right? Like, how am I feeling within myself when I'm feeling impulses to, you know, right. it's not that it, spending money is bad, right? It's just like, we're not really taught to like pause for a moment to be like, okay, is this serving my values and my, you know, my goals and my purpose? Or is this, you know, is this an active, you said activation, so I'll use the word activation. But when we're activated, oftentimes, there's a threat. Activation, the body's like, oh, what's that threat? What is potentially um, problematic? You know, something doesn't feel safe, something feels threatened and, and scary. Um, and you're right, I think the outward action is like, trying to exert control over the thing we can't control within our, you know, the, the, uh, the sensations we want to just get rid of. It's like, well, if I just get this thing and feel this different way, then I'll feel better. And oftentimes we know it's like the, what is it? Um, like the shiny, shiny object thing, right? It comes up and you're like, oh, you know, I can just escape feeling what I need to feel because this feels really nice and good. And, you know, I'll buy that brand new car. And then, you know, a week later, it doesn't, it's not so 
shiny and we're not feeling it the way we felt it when we first got it, right? Because there's something within us that also needs attention. Yes. And we are being spoon fed and conditioned to go out and spend money. So quick little story. When I was uh, going through the challenges of our business, um, taking a I guess I would call it a dive after the last crash in 2008 and things were really difficult. I had um, an eight-year-old who really wanted to be able to go out and go shopping. And it was really challenging. So we would go, I, I came up with this idea and it was even before then, cause she's always been somebody who's lo- loved, you know, just going shopping and wearing things. And so I remember when she was little and she would sit, you know, her feet would fit in the carriage. I would, we would walk into a store and I would say, here's how we're gonna do this. Anything you like, you put in the carriage, anything. And so we would go through the store and she would pick all the things that she loved. And then we'd go into the dressing room. And you know how that is. Most of the time, the things you try on aren't worthy. You know, you don't like them. And then if there were a couple of things that she absolutely loved, I'd say, here's what we're going to do. We're going to wait 24 hours. We're going to put it on hold. And if you wake up tomorrow morning and you can't imagine your life without it, then you and I are going to figure out how you're going to help acquire this. It starts out with that feeling of abundance. I like this. I like this. I like this. I like this. And it's all in front of you and it's all possible. So I didn't want to deprive her of that. Then it becomes discernment. Does this really work? Does this give me the sense that I want? And then the third step was, if it is, see if it still applies 24 hours later. It was a brilliant strategy. I don't know how I came up with it, but to this day, she uses the same idea. I love that. My my daughter is going to be turning six. And so, so that's a, that's a great, like, that's a great strategy actually to, and in it involves also like, okay, and if we want it, then, then we can talk about creating a plan or creating a way of you know, how you're going to do it. So it's like that self-empowerment piece, even though of course she's like six and. No, no, no. It's really important. It's you're participating because you want it. You have the power to go out and get it. Mm. Changes the whole paradigm. Yeah. I really, really like that. Yeah. It was very effective. And I've had many clients come back because what we don't, resolve in our lives in relationship with money, we pass on to our children. And I was working with a client that I've been working with for quite a while yesterday. And her daughter is now married and pregnant. And there are issues because she didn't teach her the word no. Or how are you going to help contribute to this? And she married someone who is also not teaching her the word no. And it has to come into play because it's only when you realize you can't have the, all the things you want that you are willing to work and value the things you go out and get. It's really powerful. Mm. Well, that that kind of transitions to, to uh, the next question, which is like, 
why does money often cause tension and stress in relationships? <laughs> okay. Good question. And the answer begins with the fact that you have two individuals coming with two very different stories and upbringings around money. And money is one of those topics that's harder to speak about than sex. And we know sex is not the easiest thing to talk about. So there's this unspoken like a like an elephant in the room that unless there's copious amounts of money flowing in it becomes an unspoken challenge of this is how i feel this is where i draw the line and because oftentimes people come into relationships and money was used as a currency of love oh boy then it's very hard to claim or stake your boundaries. So I would answer that question very simply by saying it is imperative to have good communication. And because it is such a tender subject, many people are immediately going to be on the defensive, even if it's nothing defensible. It's like, should we or shouldn't we pay for the oil at the beginning of the season. Whoa, wait a second. You know, it's, it's very triggering. So I believe that part of the process towards allowing conversations to be less inflammatory is to create a safe space and work with, there are so many brilliant couples therapists that I've studied how to create right communication around a uh, deep listening and then sharing what you've heard without using the word you. Um, and there are so many different types of techniques. There's the Gottman Institute that I've done studying with. There's um, the Amago from Harville Hendricks. Um, I can't remember her name, but it's brilliant because it creates a template in which couples come together on a regular basis. It's like scheduling a session and you allow each other to speak what you're feeling without projecting onto the other one. This is what you've done. This is how you know. And in working in tandem with developing the skill set, the toolbox to understand how to make right choices that are in alignment with your belief systems, your values, why you're here, your soul's journey, it can very much make a profound difference in how couples make choices. And I will add one more thing, which is that when you throw children into the mix, the cost of raising families in today's society really adds a lot more pressure. And so it has to be an, an experience of mindfulness, recognizing that each of you bring your own stories to the relationship 
And I do believe the millennials are on the right track by having my money, your money, and a common pool shared. Mm. Yeah, I, I, it's interesting that you, you know, bring forth, you know, money, sex, being difficult, you know, topics and such important topics, you know, before making some really big, you know, commitments. And we're just, we just don't, I don't know that we've just been, I don't think we've been trained to have these types of conversations and certainly, you know, not having the skills of the, like the tools and techniques to be able to create a safe space around that. Um, so I'm glad that you brought that up as, um, you know, that there are these various ways people can come to the table. And sometimes that means a third party that has no stake in your ultimate decisions, but is more there to mediate that conversation. So that again, it really comes down to purpose and values and what's really important. You know, when you really start to filter down, well, what's important about this? Well, what's important about this? And what's important about this? So it's not just like taking the first answer at, at face value. It's like, okay, you know, it's important that my kids get a good education. Great. Why is it important that your kids, you know, like really sinking in deeply to dialing find that it, core value? Down. Yeah, dialing it down so you really get the underlying, um, the underlying purpose of why you see it that way. And I also agree with you that when I provide that third person objective presence, I've had both men and women come to me and say, I felt for the first time I could speak my truth. I felt safe. I felt seen. And that again, relates to creating a resonant field where I am able to listen and teach how to respond by affirming that I've heard and I've absorbed what you've said. Because as to bring Thomas back into this, you know, if we don't acknowledge our past, it is literally being placed in each moment right at our feet and we are stepping back into what we've done, which is why we keep cycling around. So when couples are left to their own devices and own way of communicating, they're viewing what they assume is their present moment, but they are lumping all the previous experiences into what they're hearing. And most people listen from a place of, what am I gonna say in defense of this? And that's not true listening. Mm. So I teach that as well. Beautiful. Yeah. Joanna, this has been a really enlightening uh, you know, conversation. And I, I mean, there's so much more to unpack, you know, in, in this, but, you know, if people are, you know, interested in learning a little bit more or, you know, following some of the things that you're doing, you know, where, where can they, where can they find you? I think the best place to go if they're interested in learning more about the process is my website, which is my name. JoannaLafell.com, J-O-A-N-N-A-L-E-F-F-E-L-D, because there they will find podcasts, other podcasts, they will find video, they will find articles written about it. There's just a lot of information there. 
Um, and so when I designed my website, I wanted people, because it's such a difficult conversation, I wanted people to have no resistance to exploring, exploring further. So I offer a half hour complimentary phone call so that people can get a sense of me, I get a sense of them, and then they can ask specific questions if something's really burning inside of them that they wanna know, or they can at least get a sense of whether they feel safe and comfortable. Yeah. So there's, they can certainly do that as well. Wonderful. And for listeners, <clears throat> if you didn't catch the website, don't worry. We will put the link in the podcast description. So it'll be in the show notes for you to easily uh, be able to find it, click it and um, check out uh, Joanna's resources. Joanna, I want to thank you so much for taking time to have this conversation with me. And uh, I've, I've definitely walked away with some new perspective and uh, well, a new technique that I can try with, uh, with my daughter. Absolutely. It's and, and make it fun. I mean, like, what do you think of this? What do you think? of? Because you don't want your child to walk around feeling other than, or I can't, I'm not worthy of that. It's just, it really isn't about that. It's about really getting in alignment with if that remember, um, I don't know if you're familiar with them. Oh, wow, I'm blanking. The Wizard of Oz. Mm. When, my when my daughter was little, they had those red ruby slippers. If that's going to define you as a six-year-old and you're going to wear them until all the sparkles fall off, who am I to stop you from making that choice? Whereas if I do stop you, you're going to hold that like a dark nugget in your heart for how many years because you weren't that little girl who deserved to wear that no mm -mm. women are extraordinary extraordinary beings let's celebrate it yeah what a perfect way to end the podcast so thank you again and of course mm -hmm. Thank you to all of our listeners who join us on a weekly basis. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast because every week we have new conversations with new people and new things to learn because the learning never stops. And be sure to share out this episode with people that you know, because, well, money's a thing and money is part of our uh, existence here as a human species. And so maybe we just need to change the way that we interact with it. So you don't know what whose life you might be impacting in a positive way so be sure to share out the episode and we will connect with everybody on the next podcast bye for now thank you for listening to living a better life podcast make sure to subscribe to our show to stay up to date with our latest and greatest episodes we would also love to hear your comments suggestions and reviews thanks again until the next episode bye for now